Hello, hello, and welcome back to All Plotted Out, a My Little Pony Friendship is Magic podcast where we're trawling our way through the later seasons episode by episode. Because, you know, I think they deserve it. My name is Pornhart, that's P-A-W-N Hart, I thank you very much. And today we're looking at episodes 21 and 22 of season 8. A rock hoof and a hard place? <sighs> and what lies beneath? So, rock hoof. Uh, sorry, I... I, I uh, that's involuntary. I'm not making a judgment on the episode. Uh, it's just whenever I say rock hoof, uh, that that sort of vocal tick occurs. Now he's got a nice design. Has rock hoof. Uh, nothing wrong with a slightly different, big, burly male character type. But if you've heard the show before, you might realise that I'm not exactly filled with enthusiasm for the concept of the Pillars of Harmony as a whole. And uh, of all of them to bring back, I mean, yes, we've already had Star Swirl this season, but Rockhoof? Uh, but anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. So, <clears throat> a Rockhoof uh, and a Hard Place was first broadcast September the 15th, 2018, and was written by Kaita Mpambara. This is only her second story for the show. Uh, she introduced herself earlier this season with the uh, really pretty good horseplay. One of the more confident show writing debuts, I think, especially in terms of writing for the regular cast. So now she's been faced with the ultimate challenge, an insurmountable mountainous challenge of trying to make a compelling story surrounding the Pillars of Harmony, or more specifically, Rockhoof. Uh, the episode gets a... 7.4 on IMDb, where the synopsis reads, When Rockhoof... Uh, one of the pillars of old Equestria has trouble fitting into the modern world. Twilight Sparkle and her friends try to help him find a new purpose. A sound idea, I think, this. If there was any function for these characters who were somewhat ill-advisedly wrenched into their own futures, it's a sort of fish-out-of-water, times-have-changed, where-do-I-fit-in kind of tale. Let's get this out of the way first. Rockhoof uh, has an abominable Scottish accent. That's about all I'm going to say about it. That's a really bad Scottish accent, but it needn't destroy the performance or the episode. I usually pull out the example of James Coburn in these scenarios, who is in two of my favourite movies, Duck You Sucker and Cross of Iron. In the first, he's trying to do an Irish accent, it's not great. And in the second, he can only semi-be-bothered to even attempt a German accent. It sort of just drifts away. But you know what? He's captivating in those movies. So I only demi-care. I mean, I know it doesn't overtly say he's from Scotland, or whatever horse-pun version of Scotland they'd conjure up in this universe. Philidonia. Or something. <laughs> Plotland. Eh, maybe not that. <laughs> but look, 
all of the coding is there from the ancient Celtic warrior get up to the sort of braided ginger hair to the eyes and the ochs. But yeah, that's the last I'm going to say on the matter because it's not really that important. Now, why they would pick Rock Hoof eh, more than any of the other Pillars of Harmony might seem initially mystifying, but when I think about it, it does kind of feed into the Young Six story here. First off, if you're going to single out any of the Young Six as a, a likely outcast among outcasts, it's probably Yona, who has been shown to be physically more imposing, more awkward in environments made for smaller creatures. Um, she speaks differently from the others. It's theoretically less prosaic for her to fit into this world than it is the others. So Rockhoof uh, is the perfect character to mirror this because he is physically imposing and awkward and out of place both physically and figuratively i mean just in the sense that when he's walking along talking to twilight he's banging his head on like flower baskets and overhanging branches but just like yona he has obvious physical strength that is this ungainliness turned on its head and spun into something more positive so I, I do really like this parallel, I think, for Yona and Rockhoof thing is what ultimately makes this episode a pretty strong one, I think, on the whole. Certainly stronger than I was expecting, given the title. It had more or less fallen out of my memory, other than a vague recollection of Rockhoof being a bit out of place. Well, I feel it would have been nice if a more direct comparison was made between the manner in which Rockhoof finds his place in the modern world and Yona finds more confidence in hers. Uh, it's not like Yona discovers that she's a great storyteller or a, a hidden orator of some description. Uh, but then again, I think it's just good enough that his triumphing, in spite of his shared otherness, ultimately does inspire. I think the examples used to make these characters feel out of place are actually pretty good. Uh, they don't go for the obvious kids' telly solution, which is just a bunch of bullies or other kids for no reason saying, Ugh, get out of here, past boy. It is revealed through context and the character's own reactions, the way in which they are or feel out of place. And I think it's actually quite clever that he's been placed in an archaeological team. Not just, I feel, because, hey, he's handy with a shovel, he can dig really well, which would be a little bit of a silly reason, but also, I think, because they are digging up his village, his past, and so therefore he would be an invaluable source of information. He would provide the understanding immediately of what the things that were being dug up were about. So it's, it's really quite a logical choice. But of course, and uh, if you let it, this can open up a huge, huge ongoing discourse. <laughs> the archaeologists treat all of this stuff that they're finding with, you know, real 
delicacy. It's got to be kept safe. It's got to be retained. It's got to be held aloft. Rather like Rockhoof uh, himself. While Rockhoof uh, is reacting to these finds, again, in a, in a quite logical way, by saying, oh, look, here's that thing that I used to have. Oh, here's my ball that I lost. Look at me throw it. <laughs> He's treating them as they were intended to be treated, not as fragments, as pictures in a gallery. Yeah, Gallus again. Gallus again with the racism. This is how it's sort of uh, <laughs> hinted at, well, rather broadcast uh, on the, the Yona side of this equation. Maybe you don't smell so hot, Gallus. Maybe you don't smell like fresh linen. Yep, cat butted worm gobbler okay so maybe it's not quite so uh, thoughtfully written <laughs> on on yona's side in terms of why she gravitates towards rock hoof as an idol but you know we, we we already know that she's a little more awkward and clumsy than the others so you know i think certainly if you've seen any of the other episodes where they're in this will make perfect sense but at least it's sort of explained overtly in, in that brief exchange between Gallus and, and Yona. A lot of this episode is taken up with Rockhoof and his attempts to uh, find a purpose, find a job, which, uh, yeah, seemingly he can do without going through any of the regular channels. I mean, unless there were no other applicants for these things. I'm not sure that applications are actually a thing here. I think a whisper in the ear from the Princess of Friendship and you can get a job pretty much anywhere. I wonder if anybody is qualified in Ponyville for anything. But yeah, he tries very hard. I mean, uh, as amusing as it is, the I need to deliver this to someone who has an embarrassing rash bit doesn't really tie in explicitly with the fish out of water thing or any of the character attributes we've been shown about Rockhoof. Uh, so far, but it, I guess it shows a degree of naivety that's that's somewhat endearing. He is fundamentally well-meaning. Also, yeah, kind of clever, if a, a little bit shaky in its actual logic. All things being equal, Rockhoof would have been correct to use the stars uh, as a navigation tool on a boat that's what all the ancient mariners did and yeah if this were his time he probably would have guided them in the right direction and it would have been bob on but as twilight points out in a neat little bit of astronomical education stars do gradually move with time so yeah ancient directions aren't necessarily going to be accurate I doubt much will change in about a thousand years, to be fair. But this really is nitpicking, because I think it's basically just another really strong example of how Rockhoof really was useful in his time. He had a lot of different applications, it's just they don't quite work here. And so basically, at the end, it's uh, it's decided that, well, his, his strength is... Uh, as an ambassador, really, to the past. A storyteller. And while, yeah, some of the older audience members might immediately think, how can you make a job out of being a storyteller? As in just an orator, 
in the modern world. Well, I suppose it could be an after-dinner speaker. Burnley Conservative Men's Club presents an evening with Rock Hoof. But this is... This is made into a gag by the episode. As the Princess of Friendship, I'd like to appoint you as Equestria's official Keeper of Tales. Can you do that? Yeah, it's ultimately more about him finding a sense of purpose, in, in, in him finding a place amongst other ponies, more than literally finding a role and a job. And this is really well articulated, I think. Stray observations? Professor Fossil? I mean, I know she's an archaeologist slash paleontologist, but ah, it's a bit like Filthy Rich, that, isn't it? An, an old mare that's like, I don't know. Maybe she has two assistants that are... This is rack, and this is ruin. This is decay. Mr. Subsidence, so glad to see you. The young six are being taught that the princesses put discord in stone sleep for a thousand years. Doesn't that sound nice? Just, just a rest. How merciful, how benevolent. Even though I'm pretty sure it's been alluded to in the past that uh, Discord was conscious this whole time in some sort of immobile living hell. (sighs) Stone sleep. Like gardening leave. Doesn't that sound pleasant? Love Terramar's design. And actually just the look and feel of that whole sequence at sea. Deep stormy colours. And I just love this contrast between his sort of battle-scarred appearance in this sort of very old-school, kind of stiff-upper-lipped naval officer look. He's, uh, he's seen some cake, that stallion. Another solid Twilight role here. I say solid because it's not like it plays with her character tremendously, but it shows how she can work in this sort of guardian role, how she can be diplomatic while taking command. Rather like she did with uh, Rainbow Dash in the washouts, when she's trying to nudge her in the direction of uh, acknowledging that she may have a personal grudge against Lightning Dust, which is dictating her actions to a degree. Just be honest with them. I'm sure they'll understand where you're coming from. So, yeah. Still not entirely sure why they wanted to bring the pillars back. Maybe they wanted to do a, a show about... I don't know, Yona or something, feeling like an outcast and finding her place. Uh, And then it built from there and they incorporated uh, a character who could be physically and figuratively, as I say, comparable to her. But I'm still not sure why this had to be one of the pillars. I guess there was some residual fondness for the characters. I'm just going to start calling him one of the pillars because uh, that seems to override my tick. By him, of course, I'm referring to uh, Rockhoof. Uh, but honestly, this is about as good a use in a slice of life episode that you're going to get out of the pillars. And I think it's 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 a pretty charming episode. And the the use of the young six is good. I mean, I always I always like their sort of commentary <laughs> on the action. I think it, it enlivens some pretty. Uh, middle-of-the-road episodes. But I love the the Yona Rockhoof uh, thing. 
I think it brings the episode to life. I think it's not patronisingly written. Well, it's not the most exciting episode in the world. I I think it's pretty solid. It, it doesn't, like, sag, notably. Well, I don't enjoy this as much as horseplay. I, th- I think it's a pretty good episode, this one. I mean, I'm not going to recommend it as a... <laughs> a high point of the season and and, and I'll be honest it probably will sadly fall back into the pack in my memory but yeah this is this is pretty pretty good 7.5 it's not over yet right now I must have been good because we have a double dose of the young six what lies beneath was first aired September the 22nd, 2018, and was written by Michael Vogel. A familiar fixture in this show, the cyber controller made his debut back in season six with a half-swarming tale, and has written uh, quite a few episodes in the interim, and will continue to write more. He co-wrote To Wear and Back Again, which I loved, and also the season eight opener, School Days, which he co-wrote with Nicole DeBuck. Yeah, and uh, I, I, I keep forgetting this. He also co-wrote the movie with Megan McCarthy and Rita Hsiao, which, as I probably mentioned at the time, makes it kind of a, an interesting hybrid between the early and late show, because Michael Vogel is very much a late show staple. Like to book, like Haber, and like I have mentioned a trillion times. So we'll just get on with this, shall we? This episode gets a pretty strong 8.4 on IMDb, actually. And the synopsis reads... The wife of a university research scientist believes that her lakeside Vermont home is haunted by a ghost, or that she is losing her mind. Or, (laughs) alternatively, in this episode, the young six cram for Twilight Sparkle's History of Magic in Equestria exam when they discover a part of the School of Friendship that no one else knows about. That's more a teaser trailer than it is a synopsis to be honest but um yeah basically the young six find their way under the school where their friendship skills are put to the test cozy glow back in a slightly more hooves on roll this time suspiciously hooves on roll perhaps the inciting incident of the episode is her basically making the young six doubt themselves reinforcing their otherness, as it might be perceived, and the perception that this perhaps might not make them able to make friends. It is, of course, played off for Sandbar the Pony in a slightly different way. His was a wasted effort. Yeah, um, I can't remember exactly how I felt about Cozy in this one, because it's not actually that overt that she's villainous, because she apologises albeit in a rather melodramatic fashion, for having kind of turned the young six against each other in in an indirect way. And then at the end of the episode, they all strangely fall asleep simultaneously, but it might just be that they're very tired. They have been basically up all night, is the possible implication. And then Cozy says she'll take care of everything and looks down at the grate where they just faced their challenge, and you don't even get the evil grin. She just looks, and there's some slightly ominous music. Maybe this is a little too subtle for the young'uns at this point. I mean, it certainly doesn't harm anything. Though I think I... I'm not 
huge on the fact that this is the something up with cozy glow does this mean anything denouement to the episode actually takes up as much time as it does because it doesn't really serve any purpose in the episode itself but yeah at least they're trying to actually make a a decent arc of it it's weird i think i'm gradually gravitating more and more back to episodic television in general I've seen a load of, of arc-based shows that I've loved and that kind of unfold like wonderfully made and acted soap operas. But if you ask me to point out individual episodes or recommend any individual episodes and describe what the thematic or emotional core of that episode was that made it distinctive, probably wouldn't be able to do it for the vast majority of them. A balance is a pretty good thing. I think generally that's what MLP, F-I-M, M-A-N-A-G-E-D-T-O-D-O. O-N-T-H-E-W-H-O-L-E. Maybe it's just that it, it feels weirdly inconclusive, the ending here. Like, they didn't want to completely give the game away that Cozy Glow was a villain, but they wanted to hint at something, but it's not quite enough, aside from the musical cue, to really say anything decisive. But, you know, leaving that, Minor quibble aside, this is a really good episode. I remembered liking it. Uh, rewatching it, it's a pleasure to watch again. So I, I always love having the Young Six round. And this is a great Young Six episode. It's one of their best. I mean, it has a very sort of broad face your fears message. But it's just really nice just showing what their individual vulnerabilities are. It's a lovely bit of character growth. All very relatable too. Yona and Silverstream, it plays into understandable fears. Both very sort of clearly intimidating external forces. Spiders and the threat of the dominion that exiled your people. Yeah, pretty um pretty understandable there. Gallus, claustrophobia, very relatable to a lot of people. And then we get to Smolder and Acellus who, for understandable reasons, are pretty self-conscious in terms of the way they are perceived. Now, while Smolders is a fear of being perceived as being weak or pony-like, perhaps giving in to a side of herself that might enjoy the uh, lighter, frillier-seeming conceits of pony kind, and perhaps losing herself uh, in the process... And Ocellus is terrified of not being able to break away from the shadow of the old ways of the changelings. And that that's ultimately how people will perceive her. She sort of internalised this. Well, Sandbar's interesting is not based on a direct fear that he's running from. It's that his vanity or felt need to impress and be therefore elevated by his <laughs> by his tutors and the people he respects might override his own judgment and override his own relationships i think a lot of these things are especially important when you're growing up because you are more likely than ever to define yourself or your understanding of yourself from the outside in how you feel people see you more than how you feel and so for sandbar to stand up and say Look, 
I, I, I can't afford to care what you think. I have to help my friends. He's incredibly brave, especially for a, a school pony. These little vignettes are charmingly realised, very true to character, and they each manage to make the perhaps theoretically dull environment of an underground cave network seem interesting. I mean, ah, the, the closing up crystal walls with those radiating light beams that Gallus is in. Oh, it's beautiful. Lots of dynamic shots as well. The close-ups on his eyes reflecting the glow. His face pressed against the edges of the frame to match his feelings of claustrophobia. And this is a, another, like, total effort episode. Just look at the way the water comes off Gallus when he, uh, he flies out from the pool away from Silverstream. It's beautiful. There are, are, are so many screen-capable moments in this episode. There's not a huge amount to say here. It's a really good episode in a way that's pretty unproblematic. It's really entertaining. It's not tremendously complicated other than the the seeds of the of the finale being further sown. It's just a thoroughly enjoyable, entertaining and somewhat illuminating time with some new favourites in the show who can use as much time as they can get at the moment, I think. Hey, if you want to, if you want to make it hat trick and and do another young six episode after this show, then I'm actually all for it at this point. Just be honest with them. I'm sure they'll understand where you're coming from. So yeah, the young six and Michael Vogel bring the strengths of season eight up again, with the school scenario providing a really useful jumping-off point for some very fresh-seeming storytelling and character work. Yeah, while the, the main story doesn't seem rushed as a result, I'm, I'm, I'm not entirely sure that the Cozy Glow stuff, while necessary, I think, on the whole, fits very well with this episode. So it just feels like the episode stops, but then goes on for a couple of minutes at the end in order to illustrate something that won't mean anything until the finale. But yeah, it's really not a big deal in my mind. This is a really solid episode and a, certainly a memorable one. Nine. Got any problems, troubles, conundrums, or any other sort of issues, major or minor, that I, as a good friend, could help you solve? No poll this week. Um, well, admittedly, not usually the highest voter turnout in the world on these podcasts. Not expecting great guns. It's not a necessity that you vote on these things. I think that the two episodes covered in the last poll were pretty unremarkable. Not bad, but <laughs> might have contributed. I mean, actually, which ones were they? <laughs> I've honestly forgotten. Hang on. Oh, yes, the end in friend and yakety sacks. Um, yeah. Draw seems about right, really. I mean, yeah, I feel the end in friend is the better episode, but I'm really not going to die on that hill. I'm not even going to sleep on that hill. Might just have a picnic at the bottom. Yeah. Gonna be going away for a little while. Um, so unfortunately there won't be an episode next week. There may be one the following week. That's certainly the plan. But there's a lot going on. And I not only will not have much time for podcasting shenanigans. I won't be within about a thousand miles of my laptop and kit. But I am looking forward to 
finishing off season eight, drawing the school arc to its conclusion, after which I will be covering Best Gift Ever, and also the the little mini specials that went with it that I'd actually forgotten about, before we go on to season nine, which I'm looking forward to covering, because my expectations are kind of not really there until we get to the final three episodes so it feels like a a blank page in a way but anyway that's a little way off yet for the time being if you want to get in touch as always you can either contact me on twitter at all plotted out or by email at all plotted out at outlook.com that's all lowercase all one word all plotted out at outlook.com there will also be the spotify and twitter poll But regardless, thank you so much for joining me. And until next time, stay safe, stay well, stay tolerant, and accents. If in doubt, just just don't bother, really. Ta-ra. Maybe the later books are slightly more realistic than I gave them credit for.